Goody camp blood, ain't ya? Thank you for joining us at Now Playing for our Friday the 13th retrospective. With all the excitement of the Michael Bay remake of Friday the 13th coming out on Friday, February 13th, we here at Now Playing will be looking back at all of the installments in the Friday the 13th movie franchise, from Crystal Lake to New York to Deep Space. You'll never come back again. It's got a death curse. Just a quick warning up front, these are R-rated movies that barely made it past the MPAA, and our discussions of the movies are just as R-rated. And also, these reviews will contain major spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. Today we're talking about Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. This is Brock. If he can make it there, he'll make it anywhere. And if he doesn't, can he just go away? <laughs> you guys are doing If You Could See Me Now. That's not even the right tune. You're doing If You Could See Me Now on the Broadway stage. Whatever. It, I believe that's the Carnival Cruise theme, which yeah. does spend more time on the boat than he does New York. But I think we're totally justified in singing that theme, Brock. If you can make it there, I make it anywhere. It's a different song. <laughs> this is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. Introduce yourselves, gentlemen. <laughs> Stuart from L.A. Artie from Illinois. We are in a flying start on this one, boys, and uh, we are here to talk about a very unique entry in the Friday the 13th series. The last time something took Manhattan, it was the Muppets, and I have to tell you, I wish we were watching the Muppets now. Hey, did you see Jason without his mask? We are watching the Muppets. <laughs> It'd be kind of funny if Jason took back Manhattan from the Muppets. That's a movie I want to see. I have a funny story about Part 8 that I'd like to start off with. This is the first Friday the 13th movie I ever saw. I was, what, 15 years old at this point, 14 or 15. And my older sister and her husband took me to see it. But I was a little worried. I'd always wanted to get into the Friday the 13th series, but I was really afraid I haven't seen the first seven. What if I can't keep up? <laughs> I, Needless to say, I did just fine. Except for the fact that you're watching Friday the 13th Part 8. Wow, what a bad one to come in on. <laughs> and yet you still went back and watched yeah. the other ones afterwards. That's what I'm marveling at. If this were the first Friday the 13th movie I ever saw, I think that I would not have seen any other Friday the 13th. It would have been the last Friday the 13th movie you ever saw. I do remember walking out, and before Part 8 was the first trailer I'd seen for Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. Mm. And when we left, we all agreed the trailer for The Dream Child was better than the movie we had watched. In case you have not seen this movie and need to know what happens, Jason travels to Manhattan by boat. By boat, and hilarity ensues. So let's just get right into the movie. So Jason starts off at Crystal Lake, underneath the lake, where we last left him. I think he was chained up in an anchor, is that correct? He was chained and tied to a rock, which is where we left him at the end of part six. Right. So I guess the spiritual abusive dad from part seven put him back there, even though the chains were broken at the beginning of part seven. That psychic has so many powers, she remolded the chains. I didn't see 
see any chains. I just remember the dock being on top of him. No, he was floating down there, tethered, like around the neck or ankle or something, by a chain. Which is why when boat anchor of these two horny teens who are on a boat, Mm -hmm. which is a huge boat for a lake that we've seen as perhaps 10 feet deep. Yes. I'm really afraid of this boat running asunder. Agreed. And they drop anchor so they can have deviant sex. Yes. And the anchor runs across a massive power line that is not buried. And not been there in the other seven movies. Well, we haven't really seen what's under the water, except for Jason. Well, Jason had a rock tied to his bottom and sunk there in part six and came out of there in part seven. There's no wire down there. Well, we don't know where the regenerated psychic father from part seven put him, but he is once again (laughs) chained to a rock. He put him next to the power line. I'll teach you, sonny. (laughs) So the anchor drags across the power line, and in addition to, I'm sure, knocking out power for half of eastern New Jersey, (laughs) resurrects Jason, who then jumps on the boat, kills both the teens. Of course, you know, they were naked and deserved it. Sure. And we have Kane Hodder resurrected as an even murkier Jason. Yes. And what I found really interesting about Jason coming alive at this point was when he went on the boat and he attacked the two teens, it was extremely brutal. It was, the woman was screaming and almost begging for her life when she was trapped in that little square. I don't know what that actually is called on a boat. It looks like a, like a compartment. It might be for like some tackle or some rope or something, maybe. Life, life preservers, maybe. I'm not really sure. It didn't preserve her life. Exactly. The woman's begging for her life in that little cubby, and he just does her in, man. You know what I noticed about this movie in general is Jason toys with his food before Mm -hmm. he kills it. Well said. He is moving that thing down so slow, like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Yeah. It was a very slow death. And I'm like, that's not even scary. I, I almost thought it felt like I was back at Friday the 13th part 3D and they were sticking a post out, you know, <laughs> just to linger the effect a little bit longer. I thought it was like a harbinger of what kind of movie this was going to be. Like it was going to be a little more brutal after like especially part six. It was so campy. And then part seven, we're back on track a little bit more. I thought they were going to go to the next extreme here with the extreme deaths. And I was not correct. No. The beginning of the movie is Jason gets his mask back again, too. The kids retell the audience the whole story of Jason. And the kid who scare his girlfriend has brought along, conveniently enough, a fake knife and a hockey mask, which Jason uses to pick up right where he left off. What's great about that mask is it has the gash from the machete from part four. So the kid <laughs> did his research. Wow. I didn't notice that one. That's good Good eye there. We know Jason is a dead eye shot. We saw, no pun intended on that, we saw in part three what he could do with a harpoon gun. He shot that girl in the eye at what, a hundred yards? Here, he's in a boat cabin. Have you been on a boat? They're tiny. And he misses. How, how does he miss? Now, maybe he's still a little shaky. He was just electrocuted. He was a little waterlogged, I think, from being under the water for so long. You thought it was brutal. I, I was thinking, what's his problem? This is not Jason's M.O. I think maybe for me, it was brutal because she was sitting there screaming, trapped, and he was dicking with her. And she was sitting there knowing she's going to die. Dude, that's brutal. Maybe you, the way you said it was great, playing with his food. But to me, that was just, <laughs> man, that's just cold. You know, it's just brutal. You want to talk about brutal, let's talk about Lazarus, the party boat leaving Camp Death to New York, probably a three-hour tugboat ride at most, dragged out all night with a homicidal maniac in close quarters. 
Now, wait a minute. Maybe I'm getting bogged down on logistics, but my big problem was, is the boat just happening to drift where these kids are leaving from on its own? Is it an automatic pilot? How the heck does Jason find the exact same spot where these two kids are supposed to go? How does this boat find it? Jason does not drive the boat. He hitches a ride on the anchor line as the boat floats to a dock where a bunch of teenagers for their senior retreat are going to Manhattan. On a huge cruise ship, which definitely could not fit in the lake. So there's no way, as far as I remember, lakes don't have giant waterways connecting them to each other. So how Mm, the heck did mm, the lake mm. get? I lived in Florida. Uh There was Lake Okeechobee, which was connected by the Nautilus River to the Gulf of Mexico. Isn't Camp Crystal Lake on like the Ohio, New Jersey border, like Pennsylvania? Where is it exactly? It's it's never really been pinned down. Okay, all I know is it's not near the Hudson (laughs) and it's not there. And they have to travel from this boat. He hitches a ride, hops on the senior's boat, which is an amazingly huge boat, to travel to New York from New Jersey. What about the fact that he had to pull up the anchor? I mean, the anchor had been dropped. That's how he came back to life. So how did the boat drift? It it has an anchor. Isn't that what an anchor is supposed to do? I thought he drove the boat. And then he comes out of the water. And I'm like, what? And then they get on this boat. And then he kills. He doesn't even get to Manhattan until like an hour into the movie. And so. If I could interject here. However it would take for whatever crazy system they went from a lake to get to Manhattan, you cannot tell me that that is the fastest way to get to Manhattan if you're in New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) They're in New Jersey. You drive. There is no going by cruise ship. If you were in Florida, you might take a cruise ship. If you were in Jersey, you drive, you take well, a train, a you take a bus. This doesn't make any sense. And if I did take a boat, it sure as hell wouldn't be called Lazarus, <laughs> and it wouldn't take off from the starting point where every teenager from my high school class had been slaughtered. <laughs> what I don't get is, obviously, this party boat is not leaving from Crystal Lake. It's leaving from someplace bigger. So somehow, after the two kids die, the boat with the two kids on it, the two kids are supposed to be on the Lazarus, on their party boat, on their graduation cruise from New Jersey to New York. What's the big deal? When I first went to New York, I was in my 20s, and it was like, I'm in New York, but these kids are from Jersey. Haven't they been? (laughs) You know? Yeah. No Jersey accents yet again. These are Jerseyites with no accents whatsoever. (laughs) Did it just so happen to massive coincidence the boat drifted exactly to where they needed to be. How funny, because I just assumed that the boat was leaving from the camp of the old campground. That makes perfect sense. All right, kids, let's meet up at the place where 85 people have died. <laughs> I, it was very strange to me, and I think any way you slice it, any way you look at this story, it doesn't make any sense. You know, whatever. Okay, we're all going to get on the boat. It doesn't make sense. Where you meet all the kids getting on it. And I got to say, I've hated a lot of kids before, but these were some of the worst. Now, your problem, Brock, was how they got there. Here's my problem. There's a girl on the boat who has a history with Jason, a la part three. Right. She had an earlier encounter with Jason where bringing a continuing stream of washed up TV actors to the Friday the 13th franchise, this girl's uncle is the teacher on the boat who threw her in the water in a sink or swim kind of scenario. And she sank because Jason pulled her under. Mm. And now she is haunted by visions of boyhood Jason. Mm-hmm. 
again, I don't want to get too deep into the chronology, but when did this happen? I mean, because this movie came out in 89, probably 10 years earlier when she was that young and swimming. So in 79, I guess Jason was still the, in the boy lake. in the lake. But yeah. then two months later in 79, he's the man killing Alice. True. And then every single time we see the kid, the makeup is different. Sometimes he has a full head of hair. Sometimes he's missing hair. Sometimes he has one messed up eye. Sometimes he has two messed up eyes. And one time he just looked Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who's the Chinese kid? <laughs> and, you know, the flashback, it did settle one thing we had talked about before, and that is when the kid goes down, he is not a mutant. He is. is no, Look at the eyes. No he is just a normal kid. No, no. He has deformities when you see the kid grabbing her. He has fucked up eyes. Yeah. No, 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 no. When he's grabbing her, yes. When they show a shot of him talking initially oh yeah it. when he's drowning officially he, he's a kid he, yes. he's treading water and he goes underneath the surface of the lake yes. normal kid you're right yes that is true that is true that's true i don't know which way they ended up going but yeah you are right although in the first one i'm with brock freeze frame it the kid's got some makeup on oh yeah oh yeah got some deformities to the skull you know who i was actually talking about was tamra I've hated a lot of kids before, but they have this rich bitch on this one that just, oh, she got under uh, my nerves. She's quote-unquote called the user character, and she's a snotty, rich, white girl. And she does something so horrible into this. The boat takes off, and we've introduced our main character, Rennie, as someone who is phobic of water. And it's a big step for her to get on a boat and go to Jersey, to which I would ask, why not just take the bus and meet them there? Beat them there, in fact, <laughs> um, at the dock. And the girl, because she doesn't like her, shoves her off the cruise liner, which would, in most instances, kill somebody. They wouldn't usually be found. They would get sucked up underneath the boat. They would get hypothermia and go under. That is like murder right there. And we've never seen a kid like that has attempted murder before. I don't know. It rankled me. Wait a second, though. Let's just back up a quick second. As we learn as we're on this boat for such a long time in this movie, it's a pretty big boat. But it's not a cruise ship like, as you mentioned earlier, the Carnival Cruise Line. It's not like, you know, a city on the water. I thought it was more like the size of a booze cruise, like uh, maybe three times the size of a booze cruise boat but not as small as the boat that was on the lake. It was bigger than the boat that was on the lake earlier in the movie, but not a Carnival Cruise Line. And if you fall off a Carnival Cruise Liner, you're dead in the water, pun intended. But on this one, I think you could survive it. It's only a couple of stories high, I would think. I don't know. I, I feel like they have all the amenities on this boat. It feels as big as anything. I mean, they have a boxing ring. <laughs> they I have love, uh, uh, some kind of sauna with hot rocks. I love the hot rocks. The uh, sauna death that where he picks cool. up a rock and shoves it into the guy's stomach and there's flames and all that. I got to agree with Brock. This does not feel like a cruise because where's the porter? Where's, you know, <laughs> Gopher and Julie and Isaac? <laughs> the only people on this boat are the captain who looks like the skipper from Gilligan's Island. <laughs> The first mate, who is just bland as toast, and then the Harbringer of Doom deckhand. Yes. I love it where he's like, this is a doomed voyage. And what tipped him off there, though? What tipped him off? <laughs> Every ship needs a curmudgeon who says we're all doomed. <laughs> that was the entire crew. You're right. Three people doing everything. I'm not sure how that works. So they're on the boat for a long time, and these kids are going on their senior trip, yet they bring their guitars and their video cameras with them, and their dad. It, and their cocaine and, and their everything. Champagne. I mean, everything. It's and a party. I understand the cocaine and the champagne, honestly. I really understand that. If you're on and a boat. And what about the punching bag for the boxers? They had punching bag. They had a boxing match, and, and they're going to go party. Why would they have a boxing match before they go bloody and, and sweaty? <laughs> and 
I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It gets the women hot. Anyway. How long is a boat ride to New York from Not New longer Jersey? than an hour, I'm well, thinking, depending <laughs> on where they started from. you got to go down that from. river. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have planned for it to be, like, at sea for weeks. Like, yeah. it, it is, it's amazing the amount of recreational activity booked for this travel. Semester at sea. Do we think that this cruise was supposed to be educational? Like, were they supposed to be learning something? Or was this just the means to get to the fun place? It was. I took it as a fun means to get to a fun place. This was the exactly. senior trip, and there was no education involved. It was just, let's go party. Kind of like the carnival at Rydell High. <laughs> okay. Well, then I thought okay. it was really interesting because part of uh, the character I mentioned earlier, Tamara, part of the drama is between her and the mean professor. I think his name's Uncle Charlie or something. And Uncle, <laughs> Uncle Charlie, Charlie is a teacher, and he's like, your homework is insufficient, and is having her write a term paper or something, and then she seduces him. Okay, I can go with this, though. I can explain this a little. Oh, please don't. Because <laughs> I, I went to high school with some not-so-bright kids, and when it came time to graduate, they were allowed to participate in the graduation ceremony. However, they still had work to do and at graduation they had a teacher saying remember we're only handing you an empty envelope and if you want your diploma you must finish the paper so i kind of felt that it was that sort of thing going on where everybody else had finished but tamra isn't going to graduate unless she turns in her biology report or seduces the old man teacher rather than writing a biology report she seduces Charlie with a, a River Phoenix lookalike camcordering it all and then using it for blackmail. Correct. Okay, got it. And wasn't it a great biology project? It showed heart and stomach and had arrows to important places. Yeah. What I don't get is with the camcorder guy, he comes in at the very last minute and tapes him pushing Tamara away. So I don't see how that tapes at all incriminating. It maybe has five seconds, ten seconds of her on top of him while he's like flailing to get out well he's starting to get into it and then i'm not really sure what happened but at any rate it doesn't seem like a very good plan for graduating high school it seems unnecessary quite frankly couldn't she have just she's got the asian girl toting around with her couldn't she just bribe her into writing it i mean the girl's there on like science scholarship or something anyway it's like just kelly who yes who will go on to be in things like X-Men 2 and, you know, she's Hawaiian, but yet she's in all these martial arts films because she looks Asian enough. Right. Mm-hmm. And I did think it was cool that they finally put someone, yeah, Pacific Island or Asian in there. But, of course, like, she's there on a mathematics scholarship. I'm just like, whew. All right. Not exactly breaking new boundaries for the, for the Asians there. But. Well, that was your worst character. My worst was that guitar toting. Hey, rock and roll Lita Ford guitarist girl I, thinking, I loved that death I think she was Joe Jett actually that was a great death beating I, the crap you know she, how many times have you seen a band play it live it sucks that you just want to take their guitar and beat them over the head with it here's the rub Brock we have this character who is really into metal and she's like doing this whole vixen Lita Ford in leather pants big hair playing her acts or whatever except She's not actually playing it. Quite obviously. She's spending hours at a time air guitaring <laughs> with a Fender guitar and playing a tape that's actually doing the music. Yeah. What yeah. I love is when he kills her, the music stops as if she was playing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Killed with the guitar in the engine room of the boat where Jason learns the power of teleportation. 
Yes. yes. <laughs> you know, I think horror movies have always gotten a bad rap about the killers always pops up we least expected or all of this. This is the first time I really felt like the Friday the 13th series was in deep violation of this cliché. <laughs> Um, usually, we get the sense that Jason could have walked or ran to where he was going to be, no problem. But in this movie, you can run down through the galley, underneath, through the dance club, lock yourself in the cabin, and turn around, and guess who's standing next to you with a machete? <laughs> I know, that was really bothering me, is she'd look at one place in the engine room, Jason's there, she'd turn and run, and Jason's in front of her, which is straight out of A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 1, but it works in a nightmare. You know, it, this really, it did, it was like the big hit at the time was a nightmare on elm street so we are going to rip it off and it doesn't care yeah. that it doesn't make sense that we're dealing with a waterlogged zombie and they're dealing with a dream guy we're just going to do what they do you know i think part of this was logistical having worked and lived on a boat for several months it is really tight quarters you don't have a lot of room to manipulate it would be very very difficult to film a chase scene with a moving camera you just can't rig lights and do all of that it, you know you don't have a lot of room so they just fudge it instead of actually seeing jason pursue anyone it's just cut from him in one scene wait for the person to get to another room and then cut to him inside of that room. The other thing that felt like Nightmare on Elm Street to me was that the punishments that Jason doles out are kind of representative of the kids' own issues, if you were. Like we mentioned the heavy metal girl, JJ. He takes her guitar and beats her dead with it. And the vain girl who's so concerned about how she looks the one that I hated. Well, she's stabbed with a mirror shard. And the guy who's a boxer, well, you know, it takes a little while, but eventually when he has his couple rounds with Jason, he literally gets his head boxed. And can I just say, I love that. Jason g fights a boxer, and the boxer keeps punching a mask, a hockey mask, yes. which is built to withstand a puck at high velocity. <laughs> but this guy thinks his fists are more powerful than a hockey puck in a slap shot. And he keeps punching the mask till he's bloody tells Jason to give me your best shot and Jason knocks his head off. Clean off. It was awesome. <laughs> it was, come on, that's, that is badassness at its best. It is, the movie may have left the camp, but the camp was in the movie. He deserved the, that death. He most certainly did. Beheading him actually felt redundant, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and the camera guy in a much earlier Blair Witch loses his glasses and must see everything through the camera and sees Jason through the camera as Jason kills him. What I found interesting is the camera guy actually kills one of his classmates by accident. And then later in the movie, Rennie kills her mentor English teacher by accident in a car crash. So it was a couple of cases here where Jason is not actually getting the kills. I think they had a lot of people to get rid of, though. If you'll notice, half the people on the boat just totally disappear. Like, the, I think the ship sinks. Am yes. I correct in saying that? Yes. And so, like, half of these people that are on the party boat just go down, and no rescue party, nobody's there to greet the survivors as they row to shore. It just goes down, and, you know, we just watch 300 kids go to a watery grave. Hopefully they will reemerge and, and take their own vengeance a la Jason. So what's really fun to me is the boat sinks. And so I believe the survivors of the, of the group that we know is on a rowboat to Manhattan Island, if I'm correct. And Jason stows away on this ship, which is a rowboat, I guess underwater. Yeah, I don't know how he stows away on a rowboat. Let's sum up for the listeners who's left. You got Rennie. You've got the captain's estranged son, even though... The captain. And her boyfriend. Yeah, he's kind of her boyfriend. They met on the ship, I think. But by the end of the movie, I guess romance is bred out of hair. 
Jess, he gives her like a New York memento even before they get there. It was kind of weird. Like he gave her like a Statue of Liberty pendant or something. True. It's like he yeah. had the hots for her, but she wasn't very hot. No. Let, let me just tell you that murder is the best aphrodisiac. I think when my friends get killed all around me, I know I fall in love every time. I just found it really odd that this new romance is brewing when they're on a ship full of people that they know are dead and they're going being chased by a psycho killer, yada, yada, yada. And this situation, even though we've seen that kind of thing a little bit before in this series when there's romantic attachments, these two really seem like, well, it just seemed really, really insanely impossible to believe this time around because of everything that's going on. How can they possibly even think about that kind of stuff? I totally agree. I never have felt like this series was very good at establishing protagonists and heroes and characters that we like. It was always much better about creating grotesque that we want to see Jason kill. But in this one, it felt really bad. I really, really did not want to see this couple get together. I didn't care whether they got off the boat, and I certainly didn't want them to have a fun weekend in New York after all of the mayhem that ensues. Let me just say, you know, having been once a 17-year-old boy, I don't care if I'm the one being killed. If I have a good shot at getting down a girl's pants when I was 17, I'd be taking it. Fair enough. Okay, can't argue with that. You know, maybe Jason was, like, riding on the boat, like, uh, remember Cape Fear, where Robert De Niro is literally, like, hanging on to the bottom of the car as they drive to their uh, getaway house? He must have been, because the five survivors, Rennie, the boyfriend, the mentor English teacher lady, and... Ben Houston, yes. The boxer. Yes. All survive, and... Uncle Charlie. And the dog, Toby the dog. Yes, and Toby the mysterious (laughs) flying dog, because the dog was able to climb that ladder at the pier when they finally (laughs) arrive in Manhattan. But those five plus dog row and row and row through the foggy night. I couldn't tell. I thought a full day had passed. The fog was so thick, you couldn't even see the city lights until they were there. I don't know how they even found land. That would have been such a better ending. They didn't. (laughs) And they arrive at Manhattan and they are saved because in most movies you find civilization and you are saved. You know, I've got to say at this point, it takes a long time to get here. And I was hating this movie from the get-go. And in the back of my mind, all I could think of is it will be better when they finally get to Manhattan. It will be better when they are finally in New York. And then we get to New York, and it's just a series of dark alleys. Well, I found that the boat might have taken so long to get to Manhattan because they went by way of Canada. It's completely obvious they did not... (laughs) go to New York to film most of this movie. I'm not sure if people know this or not, and maybe they do, and I'm just being an idiot by saying it this way. There are no alleys in New York. There are maybe some in Greenwich Village. I haven't checked every single street there. But in Manhattan proper, where they are, where this movie is supposed to be, although they are partly in Greenwich Village for some part of this movie, there are no alleys. And especially, and I love the fact that Part of this movie was filmed in New York, as we'll discuss later, but it's like they did the scenes in Canada first because the set dresser just put garbage everywhere. I mean, everywhere. Strewn in bags and bags and piles, and even shopping carts were discarded. So It was pre-Giuliani. Well, yes, but I, I only can imagine the set dresser, if that person got to come to New York for the scenes, saw what the real New York was like, and slapped her forehead and went, Oh, man! If I had only known! Because there's not that much garbage. 
I mean, yes, I realize this is 1989, but no, it was. It's for me. It's very humorous to see what they think New York is like when they got it and they got it wrong. Yes, having grown up in the Midwest, this was like my perception about what a big city was: perpetually dirty, perpetually underlit. Everything is in an alley, and five minutes after you get there, a rapist junkie will come out and stab you with a hypo and, and bend you over a couch. <laughs> I thought so, too. Growing up, that was New York. Mm-hmm. And toxic waste everywhere. I mean, they did that in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So they're in Manhattan, and Jason chases them. And Rennie gets hauled off by the drug dealer, drug addicts, whatever they were. And Jason follows her so he can kill the drug addicts and save her from rape. (laughs) I'm confused about Jason's motivation here. Why is Jason killing who he's killing? He seems very intent on these five survivors. Like, he's kind of like an OCD person. He can't leave loose ends. Maybe he'll start killing New Yorkers later, but he must kill those five? That is totally what it opens up here. It's like this character no longer makes any sense in this context. You have a mass murderer who's out to destroy anything that has ever breathed oxygen, and you dump him in Times Square, of all things, and the only thing he can think to do is to go chase down his local Crystal Lake friend. He kills a couple I mean, gangbangers. If he's taking Manhattan, he needs to start killing people who live in New York. I wouldn't even think that he would ever think about those two again. He can just keep slaughtering and slaughtering. I mean, it's, it's like putting a dog in a meat factory. You know, it's like you're putting a guy who loves to kill in a more populated area to kill right. people. Why wouldn't he is like go into an office building and go to town? They're on a train. They're on a train, and he's literally walking by hundreds of people to pursue... And they're not doing a thing, which is classic New York, by the way. Classic New York. Don't get involved in someone else's quarrel. Just sit there and mind (laughs) your own business. I love that, too. It was great. They got that aspect of New York down right well. when they pull the emergency brakes? Somebody goes, is this my stop? (laughs) (laughs) It was awesome. I really love how they got that aspect of New York down. The only thing they got right. It was great. The other problem I have with this whole Manhattan segment is that there's no way to treat it as anything other than a joke, right? I mean, we we have to think that this is going to be funny because there's certainly no way that this could be scary. And indeed, Paramount has done this before. They were coming off Crocodile Dundee, which was a whole fish-out-of-water story with, you know, this Aussie outback guy going to the big city and learning what a toilet and a bidet is. And uh, Star Trek was their big franchise. They had sent uh, that whole crew back in time in part four and had a huge hit, the biggest hit, I think, of the series with them making jokes in San Francisco. So I think the thought was that, hey, people just love it uh, when we take these classic characters and stick them as a fish out of water in the city. But this is not funny at all when they get going here. There's not enough jokes. I, I disagree. I think this movie really worked because as soon as you get to New York, the attitude of the movie changes. Now, admittedly, they spend a lot of time getting to New York. But when they get there, Jason looks up and sees the billboard for hockey. And there's a hockey mask staring at Jason from a billboard, and he kind of cocks his head. And from that moment on, I'm rolling with this movie. I think I found the humor in this movie to be so much more my speed than the type of crap they were trying to make funny in part six. Wow. The bold statement. 
I have to agree with Stuart. I think if they were going for comedy, I missed the joke because they weren't really playing it as big. And the only indication we have of them really going for jokes was that billboard. Maybe that was the clue that, hey, guys, for this movie, it's going to be funny. You're missing a couple of big ones. Tell me, please. There's the time when they're running through the diner to get to the back alley out of the diner. And they go, a psych was trying to kill us. And the waitress just looks and goes, welcome to New York. And when Jason is just walking down Times Square and he kicks a boombox of some obviously tough looking white gang members. And they're like, you're dead meat. And he just lifts up his mask and stares at them. And they're like, run. It's obvious comedy. I mean, it's just right there. It's too few and far between. I mean, I recognize that it was an attempt at comedy. Uh, did you laugh? I didn't laugh. Maybe I was just jaded at this point. I yeah. was not having a good time, and there was nothing they could do at that point except end it for me to be happy. To put it, They want to smile on my face. Closing credits, please. <laughs> So, as Stuart has mentioned a few times in this series, we've, when we talked about each of these movies, about missed opportunities, and this series had, a, had an opportunity to take it in a different direction. They really could have had Jason loose in Manhattan and had a real serious, fun, entertaining Jason in New York movie with all the jokes, but at the same time, if you're going to have Jason in Manhattan, why not do that movie? And even if you have to film it in Canada because you don't have the budget to actually film it in New York, at least do that movie. I felt if you call it Jason Takes Manhattan, let's Jason take Manhattan or let Manhattan take Jason over or something like that. I felt they really yeah, missed should, an opportunity. It should have been, I totally agree. It should have been called Jason Takes a Very Long Boat Ride and Ends Up in Manhattan. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, ends up in it, Canada. It is, it, is, it is a misnomer to say that he takes Manhattan. He does not. This is essentially a haunted ship story. That with a finale in some dark alleys that we're told we're supposed to believe are New York City. In the defense of the maker of the movie, I read this book, uh, Crystal Lake Memories, doing some research for this podcast. And in the original shooting script, the boat was supposed to be a half an hour of the movie, and the last hour was supposed to be Jason in New York. And these are some of the things they describe happening with Jason in New York. He terrorizes a Broadway play. Awesome. He jumps off the top of the Statue of Liberty. Awesome. He, he does something at the Empire State Building that I can't recall. And it was supposed to be all of the New York icons with Jason rampaging through them. Now, personally, I think Jason breaking into Phantom of the Opera would be less funny. No, than that's funny. That's really funny. He has a hockey mask on. Okay, he could have come out instead of the Phantom, who has the half the mask on. That's clever. That's a much more funny joke if he's a fan of the opera on Broadway in New York City. I agree. And once he's done there, he can go next door and kill all the people in Cats, too. <laughs> exactly. Skin a cat. More than way to, one way to skin a cat. you know. Or then you like, go to Les Mis and kill all the Frenchmen or whatever you want to do. You don't have to do the whole thing. You can even have a movie montage. And that'd be funny, like a Rocky movie montage with a song underneath. And he goes to one Broadway show after another. If they wanted funny, this should have been a musical. This should have been a Broadway musical. I mean, Carrie went to the Broadway. Why not Friday the 13th, the musical? It was trash they wanted to make, entertaining trash. I could be a game for that. That would yes. make me laugh. This Agreed. does not make me laugh. This well, makes no. me hurt. Well, let's, let's back it up just a little bit here. Why, why did they even go to New York? Please. That was like the first of a series of horrible, horrible mistakes. 
should never have gone to New York. They were trying to appeal to a new generation, a generation who doesn't go to camp. You know, how do you get the Gen Xers in? We're going to go to New York. (laughs) I see. I really feel like they would have been much wiser to just have it be on a boat. That was what they had the money for, and that's where 80% of the movie takes place anyway. You just keep it on the boat. Initially, the director and writer went to the guy who owns the franchise, Frank Mancuso Jr., and says, what if we put Jason in a city? And the producer said, Jason takes Manhattan. I can see the marketing now. Go do it. And then they cut the budget back some more. And then they cut the budget back some more. And finally, they weren't even going to go to New York at all. They were just going to make Vancouver, New York. And the director's (laughs) like, we at least have to shoot in Times Square. (laughs) That's what it feels like. That is the end result. Can we talk about the toxic waste now, I was going to say the same thing. I want to talk about the toxic waste now. (laughs) (laughs) Where the movie loses me. The boat ride I find to be standard Friday the 13th fare. Go with it, don't go with it. I didn't find the boat ride any different than, say, part two and three, except that it was on a boat instead of a cabin. And that should increase the terror. It's kind of like Alien. I mean, you can't get off the boat. But then they get to Manhattan. I'm with it until they go into the sewers. They're running from Jason. They're in a dead end of an alley. They go down into the sewer where they find a worker who's there. And it's so lucky he's there because he tells the kids to get out of there as the sewers fill with toxic waste every night at midnight. It's like an urban legend. You know, it's filled with crocodiles that kids flush down the toilet and then the toxic waste comes like a tidal wave and drowns everything. Well, before the tidal wave of a massive amount of toxic waste coming through, there happens to be a barrel or two of toxic waste conveniently laying around. Green, of course, bubbling and green, (laughs) just sitting out there waiting for Jason to throw a victim into. Really? If this is true, which I cannot believe, I think this has to be the worst movie contrivance ever. Because if it's true, that seems incredibly fucking dangerous that we are going to flood (laughs) the entire city with acid to clean the pipes every night at midnight. Not like we're going to have a project and have extra security around it. I mean, forget 9-11. Just get the toxic waste out of the sewers and flood this (laughs) island. I think it's true. Didn't you see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze? It's exactly what I thought of. I, I said when they dunked Dr. Smith into the barrel, now he's going to become ninja training rat who lives in the sewers. <laughs> Shredder, yeah. I also have a problem with that they actually have extra barrels of toxic waste just, just laying around there. in the sewer when they get down there. I remember them walking through the sewer at first. I'm like, there's no water in the sewer? But the point is, by the time they get to the sewers with toxic waste line, I was already done. So... I couldn't believe they went there. She throws a toxic waste at Jason, but doesn't get a drop on herself. Melts his face. And then he gets flooded with the toxic waste and he melts away. Honestly, I know we're trying to apply logic to an illogical thing, but toxic waste in the sewers doesn't make any sense. That is... I mean, that's like a whole sea world of sharks jumping, you know. That's sea like, world they, of sharks? They've, they've gone beyond anything they could ever recover now. And there's not a little bit of toxic waste in the sewers. It's a torrent, like at the end of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom when those water comes rushing through the cave. How can that possibly be safe for the New Yorkers above? I don't understand how they could possibly think that toxic waste in the sewers makes any sense at all. And then what happens after that is crazy. Here's the thing. I saw this movie. I was 13 years old or 14 years old. And I'm sitting there going, do they really do that? It seems incredibly dangerous. (laughs) 
You know, to be fair, historically, I think New York was going through some trash issues. I remember there was needles washing up on the beach. And because there are no alleys, they do have problems with waste. But toxic waste, I don't even think that means that it's like a vat of green chemicals that will melt you. I mean, how much toxic waste really is defined that way? I mean, it, it's absurd. It's a 12-year-old's idea about what happens in New York City. Yeah, he, she throws toxic waste on him, and he rips off his mask. So we get the Jason reveal that we get in every movie. And the dude looks like an albino Muppet to go way back to what Brock said at the beginning of the show. I mean, when we were talking about part seven, I think it was, I discussed how impressed I was with the makeup people following the continuity. Jason had still had all the gashes from the previous movies. And when the boat engine hit him in the chin and all of it had been followed through. And now you've got this marshmallow man. He looked like stay puffed with bad teeth. You know what it made me think of both the toxic waste and his look? Toxic Avenger. Those movies were just coming to prominence. The whole trauma pictures, I don't know if you've ever seen these, Brock, but they're like these Z-grade. They were some of the first movies ever just to be made straight for video cassette, and they're just intentionally hysterical trash. And I'm like, I would be hard-pressed to make the case that this series is any better than a trauma film at this point. You've got a point. It does look that bad. I don't know who they got for the makeup, but I am never hiring him to work on my production. (laughs) So the tidal wave of toxic waste rushes in, and Jason utters the first words he has ever said in a Friday the 13th movie. Mommy, please, don't let me drown. In a child's voice coming out of Stay Puff the Jack-O-Lantern, And the toxic waste engulfs him and then washes away just as quickly, leaving a human boy, Jason, in his swim trunks, lying there. Completely unharmed from the toxic waste, mind you. All this horrible toxic waste that washes away all the evil leaves a pristine boy there without a scar on him. Now, I was really confused. I think, like Brock said, it was supposed to be washing away the evil, but then they leave the kid there. They just get back up and go on to the streets of New York and meet up with the dog. (laughs) You know, those Crystal Lakers, they are not very good attending towards the wounded. If you sink in Crystal Lake, we just leave you. We've already talked about this. Oh, someone's dead? Uh, Well, that's too bad, and they walk (laughs) away. Yeah, Jason was still at the bottom of the lake at the beginning of this one. Now, I did read, the director said that we were supposed to wonder whether that was real or whether Rennie was having another vision. I didn't read it like that when I saw the movie. It, it would be better if they'd done something to make it ambiguous instead of just showing us a what looked like a dead kid. Yeah. And not that I want to see naked boys on any screen, but what's with the <laughs> swimsuit? I would have bought it more if he was in Jason's jumpsuit, you know? Just a little boy still in the jumpsuit. But he's in some, like, brand-new Speedo swim trunks. What is with that? That, that, uh, uh. The ending of this movie, you're right, Brocky, it pisses me off, too. Because what the hell? I don't think I could have been any more pissed off than I was already at that point. In fact, I wonder if I was still awake. They had so much potential in this series, and they had so much fun up until now, and they completely lost all of the fun and all of the great stuff that I have actually come to expect as we've come through this series, being the noob to this stuff. If I never see this movie again, it'll be too soon. I hated this movie. That is all. Agreed. And I don't think we're alone. I mean, it should be noted 
This was the movie that got Paramount to dump it. They got rid of the franchise right after this. They, I think they were planning a part nine, and they didn't make it. Yes, it was going to be Jason Takes L.A. He was going yeah. to go <laughs> deal with the Hollywood types. Well, well, the suits killed him before he could kill the suits. <laughs> Maybe I'm more forgiving with this movie because I've seen it so many times. I've seen this movie maybe, what, a dozen or more times now. And, I mean, I first saw it in theaters, and I saw it on VHS, and I've seen it on DVD multiple times, and I watch it if it's on TV. Maybe I'm desensitized to the awfulness. But I do not think this reaches the depths of Part 3 or Part 5. I think this movie is competently made. I, which I cannot say about three or five. I think this movie has some good kills to it. And I think that, you know, the humor, once they get to Manhattan, works for me. Is it a great movie? I cannot stand here and tell you that this is a great cinema masterpiece. But you're dealing with the part eight of a franchise. You're not expecting something revolutionary here. I like that they poked fun at themselves. I mean, a good, what, ten years before Scream came out? And they're there, you know, showing that you can kind of poke a little fun at the killer. I thought this movie, it worked. It just didn't work well. And when it went off the rails, it really went off the rails. I just feel bad for you two that you've seen this before and had to watch this again for this recording. I only watched this this one time for this recording now. And I have to tell you two, I will never ever even turn this on out of curiosity when it's on cable, even for a second. It, again, I could not believe how bad this movie was, and I just did not enjoy practically anything of it. And I, know, I hate to be such a downer, and no one likes to hear a downer and a party pooper, but this one just took all the fun out of these movies that I've been having for the past, you know, whoever weeks, and just sapped it dry. I agree. Even when they're not good, there retains a sense of fun or adventure about this. And, and with this one, it was an endurance test. Like I said, I, I feel like we were all just hoping that once it got to New York, it would find its footing. And it actually did the opposite. It announced that it had no idea what to do and that it did, couldn't even really tell a good joke. It just feels like one of those cockamamie ideas where people in Hollywood think, oh, we can, we can totally reinvent this by putting it in this new scenario, and they just, it's like the Scrappy-Doo effect. You've just killed, <laughs> you've killed everything. you killed everything that was here. Puppy power. And now, what we loved, we now want to kill ourselves. <laughs> I just didn't think the f movie was funny. Beyond the fact that it wasn't good, which it almost announces that with a title like Jason Takes Manhattan, it wasn't any fun. I, have to I did not like laugh. I did not enjoy this. It was miserable to sit through this movie. And I want to personally apologize to everyone in the, in the, involved in the making of Part 5, because <laughs> I did. I said, you made the worst one, and how dare you, and for shame. And it's looking like Citizen Kane. Now. I mean, this movie is awful. First Gandhi, now Citizen Kane. I, it's so bad. Normally, like, I try to come to these podcasts. I've written some notes. I've tried to formulate what I want to say. I have run screaming away from this movie and didn't want to look back. I mean, it's like, it's got a stench on it that, like, I just gag. There's a gag reflex that's kicking in. Just thinking about enduring it. I thought I could not have gotten worse after watching Seven. <laughs> I was wrong. And coming from the noob of the three of us to horror movies and to this series, I have to say, if we were not doing a podcast on the next three movies for this series, 
If I had seen this movie, I would never want to watch another Friday the 13th movie again. I feel very sad for both of you that you can't just go with the ride on this one and laugh at it. Come on. But here's the thing, and I, I want to stress this, because people might think with a title like this that it is, that it's this good time, that it's hilarious, that they've just taken it and they've gone and they've run with it. This movie's dull. It is boring. There are most of the stuff is not, as you've described, hilarious and over the top. I, I gotta it's say it is. No, bad. So wrapping this one up, guys, I think I should ask to be consistent. Would you guys recommend Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan? Stuart. I'd rather take a bath in toxic waste than ever watch this movie again. <laughs> there have been plenty of scary, funny movies set in New York, be it Ghostbusters, or you could even make the case for Gremlins 2. And this movie doesn't even come close to Gremlins 2, which I think is my final statement on it. I would recommend this after people had already been introduced to the series if they felt like they wanted more. But only a fan of the series can appreciate this, as I think this little discussion has proven. Because I was not reaching for the bucket to spit out my bile into. It was <laughs> it, it was not that bad. I don't. I think you guys are demonizing it a little. You know, Arnie, I'm honestly, one thing I'm really happy about doing this series with you guys is that I've had an opportunity to watch this series with as the brand new pair of eyes on it. And I have actually become somewhat of a fan in the sense that I can appreciate why people love these movies and why they lasted so long and sequel after sequel. So I'm not saying I'm a fan like you are, but I thought I considered myself a bit of a fan or at least I understood what the fandom was about. And this one didn't do it for me. So I understand your point, but I, I said my last word on it. So, All right. We'll end it there. Thank you, Arnie and Stuart, for joining us. Thank no you. problem. And we'll see you when we go to hell. <laughs> I thought we were already there. We just watched part eight. Yeah. I'm dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was going for an ominous ending, and we're going to end it on a joke. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our Friday the 13th retrospective. We will be reviewing two Friday the 13th episodes each week, up to the release of the new movie in February. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com to get the latest episodes. If you did. If you did. If you did. If you did. Now Playing is a production of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved.